Hello and welcome to the Midtown Fellowship Sermon Podcast. It's great to have you with us. You're joining us in the middle of our Be Curious Sermon Series, where together as a community, we're exploring scripture with a curious heart to learn more about Jesus, to learn more about his word for us, and even to learn more about ourselves. It's a beautiful thing when we come together as a community and realize that our questions don't keep us away from God. It actually draws us closer to him. Hey, if you'd like to learn more about who we are, you can go to our website, midtownfellowship.org. And if you'd like to join us, we'd love to see you on Sunday morning. Hey, let me get this on. There we go. Wow. I just uh, love coming together and worshiping. Even if just once a week we worship something other than ourselves, it's kind of great. So uh, glad you're here, and we're going to continue to worship by opening this up. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we have them in the window seals, but nobody ever gets up to get those. So if you just raise your hand, somebody, Alex, will throw the Bible to you or at you. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand, or you can go to your phone app, or if you're too embarrassed to do anything, just sit. Trust us. All right, we'll read it for you. So Allie, you're going to come and read for us? We're in a series on uh, being curious, and so this whole spring we're coming to be curious to see if we can learn new things about ourselves and about the Lord, and so we're reading these stories of people's encounter with Jesus to try to learn more, walk into and experience our living Jesus. So Ali's in chapter 2 of Mark, and she's going to start in what verse? 23. 23. But before she reads, hang on, because... If you look up, I want you to see this whole text through the verse before that. Jesus is talking about a new thing is coming. And he says that uh, no, one, no, no one pours old wine or new wine into old wineskins because it'll bust. But they pour new wine into new wineskins. And what Jesus is saying is that something new is coming. Something that you've not experienced before. What, what came before is a shadow of the new thing that's coming. And so what we're about to talk about today is this new thing. Are you ready? Yes. Come on, y'all been on spring break. Come on, you got to have a little bit more energy in here than that. Let's go, all right? Okay, the new thing. All right, here we go. I mean, just think about it for a minute that your Jesus is comparing what we're doing right now to drinking wine. It's in the Bible. All right. Here we go. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you sure? This is Mark 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Word of the Lord. Thank you. So what is this about? Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field and some of the disciples are grabbing grain and rubbing them together and eating a little granola on their way. And these guys named the Pharisees came along and said, whoa, 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 time out, outside of bounds and Sabbath laws. And then there's David and his boys eating the showbread. We'll talk about that in a minute. And Jesus coming in and talking about being Lord of the Sabbath. What's going on here? So let's just walk through this passage verse by verse. So let's start in verse 23. One Sabbath, 
Now, let's stop there because this whole passage that we're talking about is around that one word, Sabbath. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about Sabbath? Do you ever think about what is the Sabbath? What does it mean, the Sabbath? I know that I grew up in a small town where uh, Sabbath in our church was like a serious thing. Like you didn't go out to eat after lunch uh, on Sabbath because you didn't work on Sabbath. And if you went out to eat for lunch, then you were making other people work on the Sabbath. <gasps> you couldn't do that. Like, you couldn't even go home and mow the grass. If you mowed the grass, that was sin if you did that on the Sabbath. So me and my brothers, we loved that because our parents would say, hey, you need to clean up your room. And we go like, oh, no, 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 you're not going to tempt me to sin. I'm not Sabbath. You know, take out the trash. Whoop, whoop, Sabbath. We were very religious when it came <laughs> to work on the Sabbath. But the blue laws in our town, you couldn't sell liquor. How odd is that, that the liquor laws kept you from getting the very wine that Jesus is comparing this text to? Be curious about that. <laughs> but, I mean, Sabbath is kind of a big deal. I mean, if you go back to the Old Testament, if you remember the Ten Commandments that are in Exodus chapter 20, uh, in that 10 list of commands, right in the middle is keep the Sabbath. Now, think about this for a second, because in the Old Testament, they believed that only the righteous could ascend to God. So God was way up here, and these were the 10 commandments that moved us, me, from me all the way up to God. That God only blessed the righteous, the ones who kept the law. And he puts keep the Sabbath right in the middle of commandments like don't murder, don't commit adultery, like don't make idols, don't steal. And right in the middle of those like heavy-duty commandments was keep the Sabbath holy. Right in the middle of that. In fact, let's read it. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy that we're to keep this thing called Sabbath holy. What does that mean? And six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. So the first thing we understand about Sabbath is we're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, neither you nor your sons and daughters, which we quoted to our parents often, not to us either. So not even your kids can work on Sabbath. And then it says, but not only that, but also your male or your female servants, they can't work on Sabbath. And then finally it says, not even your animals. Not even your animals. Like, this is crazy, isn't it? And the Pharisees that are in this passage, they didn't just stop at the Ten Commandments. Like, they took those Ten Commandments so seriously that, that they said, we're not even going to get close to breaking those Ten Commandments. Look what it says in verse 24. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? They were looking at Jesus and saying, why are your disciples sinning? Well, there's nothing in the Old Testament that talks about that you can't rub grain together and pop it in your mouth. So what we have to go to is what they called the Pharisaical regulations. And what that was was the Pharisees actually had 39 categories that they created to keep you from ever getting close to breaking a Ten Commandments. In other words, here's what, here are the 10, and here are the regulations, 
And inside those regulations, there were all these laws that kept you from getting close to the 10. Let me give you a couple of the regulations. 39 of them. There were regulations about carrying things, regulations about burning things, extinguishing things, finishing, writing, erasing, cooking, washing, sewing, tearing, knotting, untying, shaping, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing. <sighs> it keeps going. Winnowing, selecting, shifting, grinding, kneading, com combining, spinning, dying. It goes on and on. There's 39 of these. And when you look at the 39, these, these outer, it gets more intense when you get closer to the Ten Commandments. For example, they considered it a sin to do work on the Sabbath, and, and work would be 2,000 steps. So their regulation was you could take 1,999 steps, but you couldn't take 2,000 steps. You couldn't untangle knots. So you could tie your shoelaces, but if during the day your shoelaces got a knot in them, you couldn't untangle that knot because that's work. You had to wait till the next day. There's all regulations about cooking. Like they had stoves that they hooked up to where they had a fire going before Sabbath started and it would burn throughout Sabbath so they could have warm food throughout the whole day because they weren't allowed to light fires. In fact, they weren't even allowed in the regulations to light a candle. And if you found yourself in the dark, many would hire a Gentile to come into their house and light a candle. They even had regulations about chickens who laid eggs on Sabbath. I'm not kidding you that those eggs were unholy eggs, so they were allowed to sell those to the Gentiles. They had all kinds of regulations about harvest and collecting gain, grain. And we go, we look at that, and we go, come on. That's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, we're not under the law here at Midtown. We're under grace. And grace looks at that and says, come on, man, we are free. We've been singing about it. We're free. But I don't want us to look at this passage of Scripture through the lens of believing that grace is not based in love. And I don't want us to forget that anytime you have love, you have boundaries. Anytime. Love always has a cost, and love always has limits, and it always has boundaries. When people take a marriage vow, you know, they're not taking these marriage vows because they're saying, look at these chains that bind us. You know, some of you do. I don't. All right. But in a, in a perfect world, when people take wedding vows, they're saying, we're agreeing to these boundaries that unite us. This is not something we have to do. This is something we get to do. And we agree upon these boundaries because there's going to be times where we don't feel like keeping these boundaries, but yet we're bound to those boundaries because that's what love does. So knowing that even in grace there are boundaries, let's talk about what is the Sabbath? Well, right in the middle of, remember, this is new wine, right in the middle of Mark chapter 2, he said, uh, you know, it's the story of David. And he talks about when his companions were hungry and they were in need. And in the day of his Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is unlawful for the priests. What's going on? Well, if you go back into the Old Testament, David was not yet king. He was actually serving under the king Saul. And Saul had decided that he was going to kill David. And David and his men ran for their lives. And they're running for their lives, and they're hungry, and they come rolling into this town, and they're looking for something to eat. 
and there was nothing to eat but the showbread, which was temple bread that was only designed for uh, the high priest or the sons of the high priest. And David and his men took it, along with the sword of Goliath. It's a great story. You ought to go read it, you know? And so what, what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, he says, you know what David did back in the Old Testament? Like, at best, that was questionable. At best, it's questionable whether or not him and his men had a right to eat the temple bread. And you give him a pass. And what Jesus is claiming, if you give him a pass, but you're trying to kill me, is something out of order here. And he's saying, I want you to know that something greater than David is here. So let's see what he has to say. Because Jesus is about to get all serious on his education of the Pharisees. Go back to the passage. Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath? Well, the first thing we understand is it's not a burden, but actually it's a gift. If, if it's made for you, it's a gift for you. And if it's a gift for you, what is this gift for? Well, the word Sabbath is the root word for that is a Hebrew word that simply means stop. Stop. That Sabbath means stop. And here's what's crazy. Is if the Lord is saying stop, what is it inside of me that says no? No. In fact, I would suggest that sin never allows me to stop. Because sin says it's never enough. It's, the cup is never full. It's never completely satisfied. And I'm never satisfied in it. And I need more. And if I'm always saying more, what I'm saying is I will never accept the limits that anybody puts on me. I hate limits. Do you hate limits? I mean, seriously, I hate limits. Let me try to express that. I hate saying I don't have time for that. I hate that. I hate that. I'll give up sleep. I'll give up other things. I, things that I really want to do, I do never want to say I don't have time for that. I love it when people go, well, you always have time for the things that you love. Well, what if you love everything? I want it all. I want more. I want more entertainment. I want more success. I want more friends. I want more time. I want to play more. I want to work more. I want more. I hate it when I have to say I don't have time for that. You know what else I hate? Have you ever seen those pictures that are all blurry and stuff, but if you look at them long enough, you see 3D dolphins coming out of the water? <laughs> I've never been able to do that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to, I hate that. I hate it. I hate that everybody walks up and goes, oh, look at all those dolphins. And I'm like, where? I don't see them. And everybody's like, oh, they're probably the most beautiful dolphins you'll ever see. Too bad. I hate saying I'm not smart enough for stuff. I hate it. I hate saying, boy, I hate this one. I hate looking at something and going, I can't afford that. I hate it. Do you hate that? Thank you. I hate it. I hate saying I'm not strong enough for that. I hate saying I don't have what it takes. I hate it. And you want to know why I hate that? 
because I hate limits. I hate somebody saying there are limits to your life. If you go back to Genesis and God created the world and he created Eden, the garden, and he, Adam and Eve, and what did he place right in the middle of the garden? The tree of life. The one limit in the Garden of Eden was don't eat from that tree. And where did he put it? Right in the center. I'm like, God, why couldn't you put it up on top of like Mount Everest somewhere? Why did it have to be right there so accessible from the very beginning? God was saying, you need to know that a part of holiness is embracing your limits. And trust me, we all have all kinds of limits. We have limits on time. We have limits on gifts. You don't have every gift. Man, our envy doesn't like that. We have limits on our energy. We have limits on our intelligence. We have limits on community. We have limits on money. And here is what the Lord is saying, Sabbath, stop, is this. Limits are a gift from God. Why? And man, we don't have time to unpack this. But when I embrace my limits, when I say I am limited, I am saying this, I am not God. I'm not God. Stop and just soak that in for a minute. I'm not God. I can stop believing I'm God. And I can stop trying to control everything. And I can stop trying to make everything work. And I can stop living my life as if God isn't even there, that I'm responsible for it all. Imagine putting that down just for a second. That is scary as you know what. Why? Because when I realize I'm not God and I embrace my limits that I don't have the power to get everything I want, to do everything I want, to be everything I promised myself that I was going to be, that's a scary place to be because it makes me cry out. And when God says when you embrace your limits and you realize they're a gift from you, that you are not God, you're going to realize I am God. In Psalm 118.5, it says, when, when we're hard-pressed, I cried out to the Lord, and he brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He's my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. When I put down being God and embrace my limits and I cry out to God, God says, wham, that's the moment. I'm going to take you out to a wide open space where you're going to understand I'm your protector and I am God. What an invitation. So, let's talk about Sabbath. So we embrace our limits, and we go, okay, okay, I'll walk into it. What is this Sabbath? What is rest? What is stopping? Well, is it watching Netflix all Sunday? Is it traveling and going on vacation on Sunday? Is it going for a long hike? Can I go for a long run on Sunday? Like, can I, like, what can I do? Like, and what's interesting is when I talk to a lot of you, the things that we do to get rest are the very things that we need rest from. Like going on spring break with your family. You need a vacation right now, don't you? Just be honest. So we, are, we don't have the margin within this understanding of Scripture to define rest any way I want it to turn it into whatever I want it to be. We have to go to Scripture and say, okay, Lord, what is rest? What does that mean to rest? And we find it right here. Let's go back to Mark chapter 2. And Jesus said, 
uh, right after he said this, he said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. What does that mean? Well, in John chapter 1, verse 3, it says that through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made, that Jesus is the author and creator of all things, and he's the one that holds all things together, which means that Jesus was at the beginning. And what happened at the beginning? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 through 3, you're going to see that after God created the world, on the seventh day, God rested. Why? Because if you study Scripture, you realize that God didn't need to rest. He's not like man. He doesn't have limited capacity. The one thing that we know about God is God is limitless. There's no need for rest unless we understand the story through the story. And what was happening on that day where God stopped? Scripture tells us that he found tremendous satisfaction in what? In the work that he had done. He enjoyed it. Imagine this, that you, you serve a God who is caught up in the wonder of his own creation. That he allows himself to enjoy the glory of the work of his own hands. His work was finished, and now he was being cap captivated by beauty. That is Sabbath. Let me try to explain. Remember the new wines, the new wineskins. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Wait, there remains, like all of this didn't work, no rest. So there remains something else. And it says, For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. What is he talking about? When Christ went to the cross, the last thing he said on the cross is it's finished. What is finished? This. This labor to get to God. Because when Christ went to the cross, what happened? He took all of our sins with him. And he dealt with sin once and for all right there. And then when he rose from the dead, he rose to newness of life, and we rose with him to newness of life, which means that now, by grace, we are in fellowship with God. This is true about us. If we are in Christ, there is now no separation between us and God. No matter how much I fail on this ladder of perfection or righteousness, God says, through Christ, now I can rest that Christ did all the work that needed to be done, and he did it perfectly, and then he gave it to me. He goes, here, Randy, you can have my righteousness. Well, Jesus, what do you want to exchange for that? All your sin. Oh, wow, that seems like a good trade. Here's all my sin. Well, here's all my righteousness. And what does it take to fellowship with God? Perfect righteousness. And so when Christ went to the cross to pay for my sins and rose to newness of life, he rose to give me now the gift of righteousness. And here what here's what happens. It's when now I'm in fellowship with God, and Zephaniah says, I begin to hear a new song that's being sung over me. And what is that new song? That God, when he created the world, and he stopped, and, and in wonder, he rested. He rested from his work to now rest into wonder. That when we come together as God's people to worship him, what are we experiencing? God in wonder. He's in wonder over you, that he's singing a new song over you. Think about that. 
Think, think about Sabbath now being from something I've got to do to something that God is doing in me. In other words, imagine you stop just long enough to realize that God is satisfied in you. He's satisfied in you. Actually, he's satisfying you. You're enough. Can you believe that? You're enough. You're enough to be loved. You're enough to belong. You're enough to receive the gifts of God. You are enough. Maybe you've heard this. You know, our lives are often driven by the work that's underneath the work. That the work that drives our work. And Jesus is coming to that work that drives our work, that need to be enough, that need to get enough, that need to do enough, that need to prove enough, that need to get you all to think that I am enough, that Jesus is saying all of that is done and he is satisfied in you that we would rest in that. Hmm. You're enough. So what do we do with the Sabbath? Well, for those of you that need rules, you're about to have your mind blown, all right? Because basically what I'm going to say is let him satisfy you and then go do whatever you want. I'm saying, could you stop long enough, long enough to let God rejoice over you and the work Christ has done for you that has made you holy and right with him? Let yourself be loved like that and then see how your life responds. See, here's what's crazy. It's still a commandment. It's not a suggestion. When God came in, he, he is giving us the ground rules for grace to where we would stop. And our lives as people that have experienced grace, we should seriously think about our Sabbath. And we should think about what is our Sabbath like? Are we stopping long enough to let this one day a week actually begin to shape the rest of our week? That we would have one day a week where we would rest in the fact that I'm enough. I'm enough. The good work is finished, and I am loved, and I belong. And let that experience now shape the rest of your week. So at the very least, Sabbath is coming together with God's people and sitting in the waterfall of that grace that flows over us. At the very least, it's coming once a month to come and celebrate the sacraments that Jesus has given us so that we can experience grace afresh every month. At the very least, it's coming together to worship and to lift up our songs because our hearts forget this stuff. And when we walk out of here, we get back on the treadmill of do more, do more, do more. Prove yourself, prove yourself. You're not enough. More, more, more. At the very least. But after that, what's your conviction? If you're a believer, you know the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you. And how is the Holy Spirit guiding you? For some of you, you might say, well, my conviction is that me and my family, we don't look at screens on Sunday. Well, God bless you. That's fantastic. For some of you, it may be, no, no, no. Sundays are where we check out and we watch all our favorite Disney movies with all our kids. Fantastic. God bless you. You have conviction. Maybe your conviction is that on Sundays, we go and serve the poor. God bless you. Others says our conviction is to go home and we sleep all day. God bless you. Get your kids some Benadryl, you know, <laughs> loving Jesus like that. <laughs> imagine, imagine a day that's shaped around today we're going to walk in and believe that we're enough. Imagine that. Imagine that it transcends. So 
Because I'm telling you, the world is going to steal this from you. It's going to continually tell you you're not enough. It's going to continue to tell you that you're not loved enough, that you need to go more, you need to go faster. You, need, you can't stop. There's no way you can stop. It terrifies you to stop. But if you don't stop, and if you don't let yourself be loved, trust me, there's tragedy on the other side of that. Because Scripture says that we love because we are loved. In fact, the depth in which I love you is the depth in which I let him love me. And if I don't let him love me, my capacity to love you is going to be very limited. We love because first we were loved. And if that's true and I'm not stopping to let him be loved, then I'm now preventing that from happening in my life. And now what's driving me? And that's a scary question to ask because you may not like the answer. Because what starts to happen is efficiency now replaces love. Let me try to get we start to think that getting through the day the most efficient way we can is the same thing as getting through the day loving deeply because I'm loved. And when efficiency now replaces love, getting through the day becomes my highest priority, which means that I'm not going to stop at anything to not get through this day. So last week we got to keep our grandkids. And uh, Trent and Sarah didn't know I was going to tell this example, but... Um, I had the privilege of taking my four-and-a-half-year-old to his baseball practice, which mean that we had to get him dressed for his baseball practice, which I've forgotten, you know. They're like octopuses, you know. They're just all over the place. So we started with both shoes on, and both shoes were off, and then the pants were on backwards, but that was okay to him, but it was not okay to me. And then his shirt was on backwards, but he liked it better that way. But I said, no, you can't do that because you'll be humiliated, and everybody will make fun of you. And I'm trying to introduce this concept of shame to him. <laughs> no. <laughs> Run from shame. Run. And it became this circus of just socks and shoes and where's your hat, where are your gloves. And all the time I'm looking at my watch and it's my responsibility to get him at practice on time. Okay, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. We get to practice only to find out it's been canceled. And the Lord just stopped me in the car and he says, this was never about getting him here on time. Stop, take a breath. Stop, take a breath. Because I so love being with you. Thank you, Lord. Now love being with him. Let's go play ball. If I don't stop, if I don't understand, stop. I wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for me so that I can rest and hear my Father rejoicing over me with singing because of what Christ has done for me so that I can live my life joining in on that song that I belong to Him. Then efficiency, just getting through the day, getting through the week, more, more, more becomes my mantra. And Jesus is saying, stop, I'm Lord of the Sabbath and I'm Lord of you and I've made you for more. So here's my challenge as we end. Um, if anything the Lord is saying today through his word to you brings you conviction, do you know what Sabbath means to you? Do you know how you celebrate Sabbath? Or do you need to stop and say, Lord, reteach me now. Take my life. 
Because if you'll just go to the discipline of realizing, this is not a suggestion, it's a command, because he loves us. And I, I'm willing to let this discipline come into my life just a little bit. You might find that it's the turning point for many things in your life. Where the Lord says, yeah, I got a lot of things I need to pour in you, because I got a lot of things I want to pour out of you. Just give me space. Just stop and listen and experience that you're enough and then see how that messes up your life. Lord, we thank you for this, your teaching. We thank you, Jesus, that you're Lord of the Sabbath. That how we took something and so easily twisted it and how you're reclaiming it. And we pray, Father, that you would come with your Holy Spirit and guide us now to be people that walk deeply in the understanding that we can rest in you. That, Lord, there is satisfaction in you. That we are enough in you. That grace tells us what our aching hearts long to hear. And then you invite us to live out of that place. So even right now in this moment, Lord, would you let us hear the song of heaven that is giving us a new name that's filling up our cup that's inviting us to stop. Amen.